We're talking about fear. Uh, <laughs> and I, before I get into this, it, last weekend got personal uh, for our family. Uh, you may not know this, but uh, we have a daughter who has a tendency to not thoroughly enjoy large groups of people. Maybe you identify with that. You're like, amen. Uh, her, the problem is she is, well, the daughter of a pastor, and so we have a tendency to be around large groups of people. Well, she asked Jesus to be a part of her life actually a couple years ago. And then there was baptism, and she's like, no way. Not, not in front of, not that you're strange people. It's that she doesn't know all of you. And so there was fear. So we as parents have been really making sure uh, I'm not, we're not going to push her on this. We're not going like, to be that kind of like, you have to, you know. No, we'll just let her make that conclusion. And she landed on that conclusion. And she is one of the 87 who got baptized. And you better stink and believe it was an awesome weekend for us. Uh, so here's what's also cool. Because these are stories you may not know. And I want to say hi specifically to the guys at RCMU. If you don't know this, nine of the fellas, nine of the fellows at RCMU got baptized last weekend. How awesome. Yeah. If you wonder, like, should we as a church be in multiple places? Uh-huh. And those fellows would say, uh-huh. It's awesome. Talking about fear and people overcoming their fear. And I thought it'd be fitting, you know, on, on Veterans Day weekend. Wonder wear this shirt. You're welcome for it being patriotic. But I wanted to open up with a story that I think fits. There was an operation called Operation Overlord. If you're a history buff, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I, could, I can bring it to more of what you may have talked about in history class, D-Day. There was a whole operation planned, and I want to give you back history to this because it's so cool and applicable to what you and I need to talk about. we got to talk about fear, so let's talk about fear. General Dwight D. Eisenhower was the guy in charge. If you don't know, there was years years of planning, a, a way that the Allies could actually get a, get a foot into maybe even future victory. So there's plans like this. You know that. But, but lots of plans. And, and the way the plans worked out, it came to the day that the general has to be like, all right, you know, we, we go or we don't go with the plans. The, the plans they had orchestrated uh, required a, a certain kind of season, certain kind of tide, if you are familiar with. There, there were water, water involved in, in an invasion. So all of these things needed to be put together. And just like any time you put a plan together, right? When you put a plan together, there's optimal situations, circumstances. You're like, okay, this needs to happen, and this needs to happen. And this needs. Let me give you history. Uh, the, the weather was pretty good is what they wanted. The moment of surprise seemed to be right. 
but the weather started turning. In fact, there was such a turn in the weather that then they gathered, they had a meeting. The meeting was like, okay, now the weather was good, now it's not. And, and, and there was even, they, they asked the meteorologists, they're like, okay, is there going to be a break in the weather? And, and there's a lot of concern coming in. Should we actually launch this invasion? And General Eisenhower had to make that decision. Can you imagine? If you don't know the weight of the situation, some of the experts involved in the planning, there was, there was one part of the invasion that was expected to have a 75% casualty rate. Can you, can you imagine that on your shoulders? I, I can't. So the general, according to what history tells us, is asked, uh, sir, what do we do? The weather's not perfect. Do we wait? And he decides, let's go. And that's when all of the, the admirals and the higher-ups were like, okay. And, and they left the room to disseminate the information, D-Day is going to happen. And history tells us then General Eisenhower then found himself in a room by himself. If you've ever made a weighty decision, you, you know that it's often lonely when you make those decisions. And he made the decision and then literally found himself alone. I'm telling you this story because he sat down for a moment to write something. He wrote two press releases, if you don't know the history behind that. One of the press releases apologized for the loss of the battle. And he went in and he took ownership. Part of it, he went in and said, uh, this was not a success. It failed. And, and he wrote that press release. And then he wrote another press release of saying it was a success. And he gave credit to those who were involved. Can you, if you want to know what was truly on his mind, he was like, was he this optimistic guy? He's like, hey, we got this. No problems. No worries. No. If you write two press releases, you understand the reality of what could go on. Right? You got that? Can you imagine writing those and staring at them? Not having any idea really what's going to play out. Which one's going to go to the press? I can't imagine the worry that would have been in his face. You probably can't. I can't. In fact, I don't think, honestly, I don't think you and I are ever going to face a situation like that. I hope you don't face a situation like that. I don't want to face a situation like that. To put other people and their lives on the line? I don't, I don't. And you may not, you may not identify exactly with the pressure he felt, but, I, but listen, listen. I know a fear that he had, that you have, and that I have. The fear of uncertainty. That's what he had. He didn't know how it was going to go. And frankly, when you and I wake up, we don't know fully how it's going to go, right? And this is the fear that you and I need to go after, what happens when you look at the future and you're like, hello, future, I have no idea what's going to happen, right? That's, that's when you and I begin to worry. If you visit uh, a doctor and you thought you were going to leave that office with normal news, but you didn't, and now you have a different future, or you show up to work thinking, this is my job, I'm making money, but then you're brought into an office and you're relieved of your job and you have a different view of the future. Maybe some of you have come home 
and you thought your spouse would be there, and they were no longer there. Maybe you thought you had a friend, but then you learned you didn't have a friend. Can we all agree that all of us, all of us, I, come on, all of us have the fear of the future, and it brings in worry. Some of you have even said that's your personality, which you need to stop that right now. Some of us are like, you know, that's just what I do. I was, I was born a worrier. No, you weren't actually, but uh, no, you don't have to worry. Scientifically, let, let me just, for those of you who are health nuts, if we worry, just this will help you. Here are the side effects of the fear of the future of worry. Disrupted sleep, headaches, difficulty concentrating, nausea, muscle tension, exhaustion, irritability, elevated levels of the stress hormone, difficulty making decisions. Some of you thought that was just parenting. No, it's worry. Perhaps the parenting brought on the worry. It's worry. Do you know physically worry is destroying you? And me, if I let it stay there. But it's even worse. Did you know that Jesus even had the, well, in a sermon, he, he spent a concentrated time in, in a sermon talking about worry. I thought I'd show it to you just to make us all feel bad. Uh, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Jesus said this. You're like, should I listen? Mm-hmm. He said it. And if you're like, oh, did he then move on to something else? No. Um, he kept talking about it. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? If some of you say yes, stop it. It doesn't. <laughs> and then you're like, oh, is that it? No, no. So don't worry about these things saying, what will I eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? And you're like, finally, get done with it. Nope, he, just one, one, one more. So don't worry about tomorrow. You're like, are you serious, right? For tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. So here's the problem. The doctors say you and I should stop worrying. <laughs> I mean, maybe you listen to your doctor every time. I at least pay attention. Mm-hmm, thank you. The doctors say you're not supposed to worry. Jesus says you're not supposed to worry. And some of us are going, I'm not going to talk to any of them ever again then. Worry is a problem. A fear, living in fear of the future is a problem. And many of us have bought in, oh, I know why Jesus said not to worry. He made a new commandment. Sometimes we treat worry that way. Jesus said, don't worry, so I guess I'm supposed to leave. But there's the sermon for today. Hey, Jesus said, don't worry. Thanks for coming. Right? And you'd be like, okay, now I'm worried. I don't think he said, hey, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry, because he's like, hey, you need some more rules. I don't think that's why Jesus said that. I think he knew what it would do to you and do to me and do to our relationships. I think he knew that it would paralyze us. I think he knew that it would be destructive not only to our souls, but our bodies and the people around us. And if you're concerned where we're going to go, I want want you to understand worry. Worry simply means our, our trust is being attacked. I'm not, I'm not going to go after and say, how could you worry? I mean, because I know you get bad news and whether you call it, well, concern for the future. I think it's worry. When you get bad news or if you don't like it, you and I are going, oh, no. 
And do not begin to hate on yourself at the beginning because you're like, how can I not be optimistic about this? This seems really bad. Oh, no. No, 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 no. It means your trust is being attacked. If you worry about your kids, if you worry about your marriage, your job, if you worry about things God's doing or not doing, your trust is being attacked. You're normal. Yes. Every one of us in the midst of having a worry, just think about the last worry you had or maybe you got one right now. If you're like, what does this mean? Does it mean that I, that I don't love God? No, it means your trust is being attacked. And if, if someone, if something is going to attack our trust, then you and I got to lean into this and be like, I don't want my trust to go away. So it leads me to asking you a question. And I don't want you to answer it out loud. What has more weight in your life? The known or the unknown? What has more weight? Think about it in the terms of the scale. This is a scientific scale from Hobby Lobby. <laughs> but I think it works. It helps us. What has more weight? The unknown? You, you all of a sudden get told by a doctor, hey, you've got this. Do you all of a sudden do a little too much searching on the internet and find yourself going, I've got like 24 hours to go. Do you sometimes see a behavior of a friend or a spouse and you're all of a sudden going, I don't know what, I can't prove it, but I think they're leaving me. Can we, can we admit that the, that the unknown has tons and tons of weight in our life? The unknown. Things we, we are literally hypothetically conjuring up in our brains going, and if you have a good imagination, oh my. Some of us make up stuff that's crazy. And then we lock it in and it has so much weight. If the unknown, if the unknown, what you do not know, what you cannot guarantee has more weight than the known, then you will be dominated by worry all of your life. And I'll tell you this is when uncertainty comes, uncertainty seems to look at all the things that we know to be true and it starts to tell us lies about it. All I want you to do is a quick self-assessment. What is more weight? The unknown or the known? As you think about that for yourself, I want to walk you into a story. The story is full of weird names, okay? And I don't want that to be a distraction, so I thought we would just put some of these up for you. King Nebuchadnezzar and the gold statue. Sounds like a movie or a kid's book. Uh, it's really happened in history. King Nebuchadnezzar, just get over it for a little bit because you're like, whoa, that's, I don't know what to do with the name, and I understand. Uh, obviously, obviously he, he was a king. And if you don't know the history about him, he was a bit, shall we say, full of himself. Not that we would have any link to, okay, I'm not going to go any further than that. I'm just saying King Nebuchadnezzar could only think about one thing it seemed to be, and it was himself. In fact, that's where the gold statue comes in. He came up with an idea. You have to wonder, did he come up with it like in a dream? Or was it someone suggested this, or was it just his own bad idea? He's like, I need a gold statue for people to worship. That's what I need to do. So he makes one 90 feet tall. If you want to know, like, is this like a little? No, it's a big one. And uh, he creates some rules around it. Uh, you got, 
if you, if you didn't get taught this story. So all these officials came and stood before the statue King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald shouted out, people of all races and nations and languages, listen to the king's command. Here's, here it is. When you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, whatever, and all the other musical instruments, here, bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. And the sign of an insecure leader, anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Just picture the situation. So you may not know the makeup of the people there. There were people who worshipped all kinds of just different stuff, okay? But it was also mixed in with people who believed that there was only one God. One God. And this statue, although may have been pretty, was not God. And if you're not familiar with the Ten Commandments, let me help you remember this. In the Ten Commandments, that some of these people there would have been like, we follow that. God gave us that. If you just go through the Ten Commandments, that started at the beginning. We learned that we're not supposed to worship any other gods. And we're also not supposed to bow down to any kind of an idol. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. So now you have a problem. And that's where we get our other characters. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There you go. More kids' names. Every week I'm giving you some. So, So these guys are in a mix of the people that now are standing in front of or around somehow this giant statue. The king has said, hey, I want you to bow down to this. And if you don't, you're going to die. And they begin to wrestle with, I think they do, they begin to wrestle with what they know and what they don't know. So let me bring it back to you. What has more weight in your life? The unknown or the known? The known or the unknown? Can, let's go for a moment into their minds. I can't read their minds, but I'm going to infer some things. So, so you know that they're in front. That they're, they're going, oh no, if we, if, we, if we bow down, which was against the Ten Commandments, was against what God said. And frankly, they're like, that's not a God. <laughs> that's a statue. Now, I know you and I are accustomed to statues. You just, that's pretty normal. But we don't bow down, or you should not bow down to them. This violated what they knew to be true. Huh? Have you ever found yourself in a situation where the people around you were willing to do things that they shouldn't do because of the pressure around them? And you're like, but I shouldn't do that. Huh? Yeah? We call it peer pressure for kids, but you know it doesn't stop. Don't you wish it stopped? I mean, can you just visualize? So you got these three dudes going, this is not going to go well. What they know to be true is God is the only God. What they know to be true is that God will be disappointed and this will break his heart and this violates their character if they bow down. What they don't know is exactly how hot that furnace is. (laughs) Is the the king serious? Like, is it really going to play? Are they... One, are they going to see us? I mean, there's a lot of people. So here's how it plays. The instruments go. And I don't know how many people, but they dropped. They dropped to their faces, except our three friends. That's when you stand out. That's when you're like, oh, no. I mean, maybe one of them hid behind another one. 
I don't know. But they stand up. They stay standing. Do you wonder if the people around them were like, come on, guys. Just about, you're making a scene. They don't want like a whole crew to be just kind of brought in. So I wonder what was going on if people were whispering to him, would you just, just bow down? Come on. It's no big deal. We don't even believe it's a real God either, but just bow down. Just do it. So this fear of the known and unknown, I don't know where you're at yet on it. Here's what happened. Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage, obviously. In order that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. Their, their fear of the unknown, their fear of what was going to happen is now coming true. It's like, um, Mrs. Smith, um, I need to see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the principal's office now. I mean, so they show up, they go in front of the king who has promised, has promised to kill him. I wonder what you and I would say. Would you change your story? I mean, I don't know how strong your character is. Worry, worry has a tendency to reveal our true character. I wonder if some of us might be like, oh, oh, ooh, I'm so sorry. I didn't, I didn't hear the instruments. I was totally focused on something. Right? Or maybe they, they could have said, Oh, we didn't, we didn't know that was what was supposed to happen. What happens to you when you worry? What decisions do you make when you are worried about something? Do you compromise your character? Oh, here's, here's what they do. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace. The God whom we serve is able to save us. That's some pretty cool faith. Optimism. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. Most of the times when you and I face uncertainty, you, you might land there. You might be some of the people who would be like, you know what, this problem's going on, and God is going to save me. Some of you are like, isn't that what you're supposed to say? Right? There's a problem. There's some bad teaching out there that would say that's the only thing you can say. Some people would say, do not admit reality. If you're a Christian, you should only say, well, God can and he will save me and that's how it goes and that's how it always will be. But all of us have stories, right, where God did not, right? Can we have that conversation together? And we see this at first and going, yeah, they're in the Bible. It's a story we're supposed to copy. That we're in, when we have a problem, when we have uncertainty, God can save me, he's going to save me. And we just think it stops there, right? And then we go crossing our fingers. You need to see what else they said. It's powerful to me at least. But even if he doesn't. Isn't it amazing the stuff that we read over in the Bible that we're like, wait a minute, that seems really honest. Yeah, it does. It doesn't disregard what they said. God can save them. God is amazing. God can save us. He's all-powerful. In fact, 
Notice they're not bowing down. They've not disregarded their relationship with God. He can save us. But even, even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty. I think they gritted their teeth. That we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you set up. In other words, even if God doesn't save us from this fire, we're not compromising our character because we're freaked out right now. Anytime you say, even if, you know that there's some fear there, right? Even if, there's a reality of we could die right now, even if. Do you know that in the midst of this room, in the midst of all of us, everywhere, ever watching, we're, we're all together, but you know that amongst us is a ton of fear. Did you know that? Do you know that there are some of us who are wondering if our marriages are going to work, if we're going to have a job, if we're going to make it through school, if the friendship's going to stay together? You know that, right? There are many of us who are processing this battle of what if they say this and what if they do that and, and what if it's bad news and what if this doesn't work out, you right? Can, can we admit, you know that, okay, as pastor of this church, I can tell you the reality of what's going on amongst us. There's a lot of, of bad news. And many of us are right there going, well, well what, what's the future look like? During our miracle series, I used uh, my mom as an example. If you don't know this about my mom, t- uh, 12 years ago, she was diagnosed with cancer. They gave her a life expectancy. I think of seven years was the cancer she had. They're like, you know, that's what happens. It's horrible news. And I told you in the miracle series, like a lot of incredible things happened, miracles. She, she was cured of cancer and went well beyond the life expectancy. About two or three weeks ago, we learned that she's got cancer. This sermon is not just for you. And you need to know we're about to have a very open, very vulnerable conversation. That when you get news, you're like, that's, I hate that news. You ever get news like that? Imagine you have. Hate that news. What if, what if, what if, what if, right? Floods, right? And I thought this would be a very good time for you and I to have a very, very good conversation together. And I want to open up, I want to open up my family's life because my mom has cancer. And we are praying that God would do a miracle. I'm praying that God would actually do an incredible miracle where the doctors are like, I want to follow this God because of what just happened. That's the, we're praying for like the miracle of miracles, okay? But even if, if you want to know what to do with your worry, fight a what if with an even if. If you want to know, because, come on, that's not pretend. Are you cool with not pretending? I think pretending's stupid. Let's not pretend. 
So how do we legitimately say, I don't want worry robbing me of my physical well-being, and I don't want worry robbing me of my relationship with God. How do I walk through this? You go after even if. I thought maybe, maybe you don't know. Let me, let me give you lessons our families process. There's a few lessons. Let me show you. What if invites worry? It says, worry, would you come have a seat next to me and just kind of move in? Right? What if, what if, what if? It invites worry. It says, I want you here, worry. Some of us think worry makes us stronger, better people. Not if Jesus says, don't do it. It's not good. Even if invites trust. And no, I don't know what God's going to do, but I would rather have trust in God than worry. That's just one of the choices our family's making. Let me show you another lesson we're learning. What if grasps at control, even if releases control? Have you ever been in a situation where you got bad news, and so you just went to town, you're just like, all right. I'm going to find the best doctors, or I'm going to find the best job, or I'm going to do this, or I'm going to yell at that person. Oh, they, they, sometimes when, when we're in jeopardy of losing a relationship, we go crazy. And we get all controlling. Even if release is control, it says, you know what? Even if I could manhandle this person into submission, it wouldn't fix it. And what we have found is this. If you release control to God, it's just so much better. Let me show you one more thing that, that we've learned. What if it's, it's full of fear? Even if it's full of peace? Just being very open with you right now. This is what we're wrestling with as a family. This is what we walk through. We're not denying reality, but we are staying close to God because, frankly, I love peace. Far more than fear. If you missed everything I just said, I thought I'd show you something kind of neat. What if? Welcomes and worry, which means you have to grasp at control so you're going to live in fear. If you'd like to choose even if, it means you start with trust, you release control, and you live in peace, even in the midst of a nasty storm. Um, if you need help, I mean, I look at this and I'm like, what do I want? Hmm, I'd like to go with that one. Now, don't, don't think that I'm saying even if just means life is so easy. No. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said even if. And here's what the king did. I'll show it to you. So they tied him up. Uh, so far, not going well. Uh, so they tied him up and threw him in the furnace. Fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. And because the king in his anger, if you want to know how like, upset he was, had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. That's how hot it was. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. Some of you might have been expecting, oh, even if means it just gets nice. <laughs> no, they're in a furnace. What have you been doing with your worry? Have you compromised your character? Have you ended up in a furnace and like, see God, you don't care about me? What if God is actually with you in the midst of your furnace? If you've heard the story, you know what I'm talking about. 
Here's what I'll tell you about worry. Every worry is an opportunity. If you don't want to hate worry, I've now won. Anytime we have a problem, first we cry, okay? That's just, there you go. You get news, like I told you, you get news, you cry. You get mad, you, whatever you do with your emotions. You get upset. But eventually, you land on your feet if you have character, and you're like, you know what? You know what this problem means? It means we have an opportunity. And they didn't compromise their character, and so they get thrown into this furnace. And if you don't know the, st- the story, it's, uh, it's pretty crazy. Uh, the king is watching them burn, which... Can we all just land on King Nebuchadnezzar, not a good person? But then the king makes an observation as he's, I think, doing this. Didn't we throw three guys in there? I think some of the officials were like, we don't know what answer to tell you because we might die if we give you the wrong one. But uh, yes, yes, sir. Yes, sir. And why is there four? And why does the fourth one look like a God. See, what we know by the story is that these guys are thrown into a furnace that killed the soldiers that even threw them in there. You want to know how hot it is? They are taken out of the furnace, not only not burned, they don't even smell like smoke. Huh. Some of us, we read this story like, oh, I bet it, like, this is 30 seconds, right? No. Okay. They get thrown into the furnace and the soldiers die. You remember that part? I told you that part. You got that part? The story also tells us the king went up to the furnace and was like, hey, you guys, you guys need to come on out. If the king's able to walk up to the furnace and say, come on out, you know that time has elapsed. You just follow me on that one? Which means they were in the furnace for who knows how long? What's our prayer? As soon as we get close to the fire, God, save me. Don't let me go into this. Sometimes they're like, no, I think it's going to be good for you. Because there's an opportunity here. So here here's what happens, because they don't compromise the character. Uh, then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What? Come on. Don't be like, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, that's, you know, we started off with the 90-foot gold statue. And he's like, praise the, this real God. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him, who trusted in him, who trusted, did not compromise the character, who trusted in him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Let me connect this. I think it needs to be connected to the New Testament. Let me show you something in Philippians. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Let me translate this. When you have something about the future that you are terrified about and you don't know, what do you do? You pray about it. You go to God for it. You don't run from God. I suggest you don't blame God. You you just start talking to him. Whatever your emotions are, share them with him. But hey, here you go. Here's real. Tell God what you need. Tell him what you need. Don't sugarcoat it. And thank him for all he has done. Ooh, that's hard to do, isn't it? In the midst of a problem, God, I just want to stop in the midst of this horrible news and tell you, man, there's been some great things that you've done. This is why you and I need to write down the great things because we will not feel it in the time. You've got to read it sometimes. 
then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Experience God's peace. Those of you who are consumed with worry right now or uncertainty or bad news, would you like some of that? Yeah. Let's stop calling ourselves, oh, I just worry, that's my nature. I just worry, that's who I am. It's time that we start being an even if group of people. God can heal. God can restore. God can fix. God can provide. And even if he doesn't, heaven is always still an option. So I put together a prayer that I thought I would pass on. God, but even if my health fails, you're with me. Even if my family crumbles, you are with me. Even if money is scarce, you are with me. Even if my plans fail, you are with me. Even if my life reaches death, you are with me. Even if. I know this requires maturity because we still have the what if staring at us. I'm not telling you that you're bad if you have what if questions. I'm saying you and I gotta combat that with even if declarations. That's what I'm doing. I hope, I hope you'll begin to live that way. What a beautiful lesson from years ago, even if, even if. Let me pray with you. God, I pray for, for everyone who has leaned into your word. God, for anyone right now who has been trudging, trudging through life. Perhaps some feel like it's just been pouring on them for years. And some are new to bad news. God, we love you. We don't know what tomorrow brings. We pray, God, that you would heal the sick, that you would restore the broken, that you would provide for those who do not have what they need. God, would you intervene and deliver those who are far from you? Would you draw them to you? God, even if some of those things don't happen, thank you for never leaving us, never abandoning us, never walking away. Thank you for salvation, for grace, for mercy, for heaven. God, we choose today to trust you. And even if you don't do exactly what we want, we choose to trust you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.